of the Talent Forum. We are bringing you independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. I'm Ed Fallon, I'm your host. We're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa, where we just had a uh, snowstorm following a tornado, following a day that was great for grilling out. Anyway, uh, as always, if you're listening or watching this program live on the Fallon Forum Facebook page, you are most welcome to join the conversation. You can text us at 515-519-6323. We'll call you back and bring you into the, into the discussion rather as soon as we can. If you value what we do, we could use your support. Visit the donations page of the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business, consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned and specialty grocery store. Gateway's Cafe is open seven days a week for dining, carryout, and delivery service. And check out Gateway's catering and floral services as well. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Groovy Goods. That's Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop where everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Groovy Goods is a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. Learn more at groovy-goods.com or stop in at 23rd and University in Des Moines. With me in the studio today is Dr. Charles Goldman. We're going to be talking about Ukraine because we must. But first, we need to talk about an epidemic that has killed roughly half a million Americans over the past 20 years. I'm talking about opioids. Uh, opioids, which in 2017 alone killed 47,600 Americans. Charles, when you're not uh, wonking out on public policy and climate change, um, you're a doctor and you know a thing or two about this situation. I mean, you have, help us first of all understand why so many Americans have died because of opioid overdoses, and then, and then let's discuss what to do about the problem. Yeah, and I think to, to start with some perspective. So, you know, my expertise now in addition to surgery is palliative care. And uh, also, um, I'm also now trained uh, with the waiver to do medication-assisted therapy for opioid use disorder. So um, I, I've seen this evolve. I, I saw this evolve, you know, from what was somewhat well-intentioned a number of years ago, which was um, the just say no movement out of the Reagan era. Nancy Reagan, sure. Had yeah. really driven physicians away from using uh, opioids for pain management appropriately. And so, um, we, we entered a time in which we were trying to find agents that were uh, somewhat advantageous relative to the traditional opioids like morphine. And this led, of course, to the uh, unfortunate introduction of oxycodone and its, its long-acting version, OxyContin, into use. Uh, I think we all are aware of the Sackler family's involvement uh, Purdue Pharma's involvement. Maybe lay that out a little bit for well, us. Well, basically, the uh, OxyContin, Oxycodone, was marketed as um, a drug which had low addiction potential when it was used for pain management. Even, now, though, even though the company marketing as such probably knew otherwise. Well, yes, and also um, the, the actual support for that statement was a letter to the New England Journal, which appeared 250 times in other references, which was based on a VA study of three patients that... Well, wait, wait, how, how do you even call three patients a study? It's not. It wasn't, okay. even, it wasn't even presented as an article. It was presented as a letter. That was in the New England in Journal New England of Medicine? Medicine? Yeah, it was, it was, it, the height, yes, it was known as... Did they uh, apologize for that later? No. Oh, um, but basically what happened was the drug was marketed to uh, physicians as titrating pain... Therefore, uh, there was no euphoria involved with taking the drug. Therefore, there was no addiction potential, which, of course, turned out to be absolutely false. And they continued to market the drug knowing full well it wasn't true. So th yeah, that, that's, that's the problem. That's well, this is the beginning. Yeah. Though. They, okay. That's where the beginning. So the sure. beginning is <laughs> that we essentially iatrogenically addicted or at least made physically dependent a large number of patients. And then because of... Uh, the absolutely loose regulation of the drug being prescribed by um, you know, physicians who shouldn't have had licenses and should have gone to jail, 
uh, you know, you had states like where I practiced for, you know, quite a while in West Virginia, um, where, you know, basically they were dispensing enough oxycodone pills for a population of an entire country. Um, there was just no way these pills weren't being wow. malused. The other problem is that a huge amount of pills that were given for legitimate purposes were diverted by family members or others into the supply mm. to, for recreational use. Now, the problem became when Oxycontin came out, it was formulated in such a way that it couldn't be snorted anymore. And so um, the people who would now become physically dependent on, on the opioid, on Oxycontin, uh, switched over to cheaper uh, recreational drugs, such as heroin. And heroin had kind of disappeared for the most part. It disappeared, but it certainly its usage right. had really dropped off. And then that's when you begin that's to see the, the reintroduction well. yeah. of heroin because it was a cheap alternative. And then ultimately, with the involvement particularly of the Mexican cartel and Chinese labs, you then had the introduction more recently of fentanyl mixed with multiple drugs of abuse, uh, but in particular heroin, which has led to um, you know the carnage across the United States, and and you know the other thing that changed, and the reason why this became more visible, is that now it wasn't just people in you know lower income parts of major cities who were dying of drug overdoses. It was kids and people of all Virginia, social strata, all yeah. social strata, all levels of educational right. achievement, all racial groups who were now dying. Um, from these overdoses. And what year are we talking about now? What take us up in, in time where we're at? Well, where we're at now is that I mean, here here are three three things that kill Americans. I'm not going to talk about COVID. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. Opioid overdoses, which does include the use of methadone. So that, let's be a little clear: it's not just heroin and fentanyl. Methadone is also uh, a drug that's used not so much as a drug of abuse, but it's used for medical-assisted therapy, which is then oftentimes, because of the nature of methadone's kinetics, a little bit difficult to prescribe, and also people do maluse it. Um, so you have opioid overdoses, you have deaths in car accidents, and you have gun deaths in the United States. Which one is the most numerous, which is pretty actually easy? And that's opioid overdoses, which is more, about, more than More than car accidents, more than guns. By far, but combined. It's about 100,000 deaths a year now. Uh, car accidents cause about forty-five thousand deaths a year. So I mean, the and guns are only half of so that. So the figure I shared earlier about uh, forty-seven thousand six hundred opioid deaths in twenty seventeen. That's correct. That's so it's almost it's more than doubled that, in just five almost, years. Yes, essentially, that's wow. true, and um, and it's terrifying because um, one thing we know is that you don't control intoxication by controlling the intoxicant. So any policy that looks to um, you know, keep drugs from coming into the United States or being manufactured in the United States is doomed to failure. Yeah. And of course, the cost of this has been massive incarceration rates in the United right. States, which are pointless. But, but I mean, the, to, make, to be clear, these aren't drugs that people went out on the street to buy. These are drugs, in many cases, maybe even most cases, were, were prescribed by physicians. Correct? Right. But what I'm saying is, is that it primed the pump and right. there, there's still lots of diversion and there's a lot of work within the medical field particularly among surgeons who obviously use opioids, you know, prescribe opioids for post-operative pain to minimize the amount of opioid we give. And, and, it's, and here again, it's not just the 20-year-old kid who dies in the basement after they get back from rehab, you know, a week ago because they go back, take their previous dose of mm -hmm. heroin or fentanyl, um, and because they've now been detoxed, they're yeah. much more sensitive. This is also eight, you know, 70 something year olds who have a hip replacement mm. who get some maybe Vicodin or oxycodone and um, they're still using the drug a year later, but their hip is well healed because there's a, is a physical dependency. How, how are they able to procure that drug? Like, it's just say, I'm having continued hip pain. The problem the is that you can't, well- The doctor is willing to do that despite all the evidence to the contrary. To some degree, yes, and also because they also have osteoarthritis and other joints, and so they, and what people use opioids a lot for is not just pain; it's also an anxiolytic, What's and that? It, it, it's, it's an anti-anxiety an anti -anxiety drug. Okay, and so one of the side effects for many people is that it reduces their anxiety, and we all know there's plenty of that out in the world today. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but let's be clear: there's a huge difference between addiction and physical dependence. Okay, physical dependence 
is, and it's, it's true of any opioid, that you're going to develop some element of psychological and physical dependence with long-term use. It's unavoidable. It, it changes your brain in such a way okay. that you are becoming dependent on this drug. Okay, how is that not addiction? Addiction is a group of behaviors in which your life is essentially governed by the desire and the need to procure and use the I, drug. I'm not sure I see a big difference. Well, the the idea with, with addiction is that it's a dysfunctional state. Most addicts are not able to function normally in life because so much of their time is spent and their mentation is spent on procuring the drug. Also, they obviously resort, okay. whereas physically dependent people don't, and it may but, but just be because they have access. Isn't that merely the distinction between, say, a drunk who can't do anything and a functional drunk? No, because the the treatment of addiction is both directed at the physical dependence issue as well as the mental affect of addiction. That's why, and, and this is one of the real problems we have, people are, are sort of given the choice. They're given medication-assisted therapy for opioids, which is the use of methadone or suboxone, buprenorphine, which are drugs that, although they are opioids themselves, don't carry much euphoria with taking them. And so you're substituting a manageable, a manageable physical dependence for the addiction. The problem is that that alone only works at the one-year point about 60 to 70% of the time, if that much. Arrayed against that are the various you-need-willpower kind of programs. It's the 12-step programs. Oftentimes, there's a huge religious kind of component or at least faith component to them. And a lot of the 12-step programs do not want to involve themselves with people who are getting medication-assisted therapy. So what do we, what do, we do about it? Uh, it's how, how do we how do we move beyond this addiction this 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 uh, this, this epidemic? Um, it's very hard to know where the where the off ramp is here because the combination of of medication assisted treatment for opioid use disorder with some sort of psychological interventions or twelve step programs is fairly effective short term. Um, it's far more effective medications far more effective than the twelve step programs by themselves. Long term, about 80% of people who are addicts, not necessarily physically dependent, okay. will, will, will you know, fall off the wagon. Not that Wait, much different. 80% of uh, those will, who are addicted? Will no. end up using again. Okay. After, many they, of them after, will, after there's been an attempt to bring them correct, to treatment. Correct, but many of, them will enter, many of them will enter programs multiple times, and eventually some of them, as you get older, most addictions tend to burn out. Um, so you do see, you know, higher ability as you get older to, to, to walk away from the, from these drugs. But, um, there's no treatment, for instance, for methamphetamine at all, mm. other than some sort of, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, because there's no drug you can give to substitute for methamphetamine. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so it's bleak, so, so <laughs> to I, say I, it, but well, it's kind of bleak. Who do we have to, I mean, we... We've got to blame somebody, right? Uh, I, you know, and I presume that um, <laughs> you're a physician. Uh, <laughs> I presume that you would say that physicians aren't responsible for the problem. They're merely following protocol, and in some cases that protocol is established by the pharmaceutical industry? Um, well, the pharmaceutical industry made a lot of money off of this. Right, and, 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 certain and, actors know, and, and at the same time, knowing that these drugs were problematic. It... They, they were aware of the distribution of the drugs could not possibly represent legitimate use. Okay. Yeah, so everyone knew, everyone what, what, knew opioids so were physically, what, what, could create physical, psychological dependence. So why, why do we crack down on Mexican drug cartels but not put pharmaceutical executives in prison? Well, I'm, I'm totally agree with that. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, it, 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 we see this all the time with white-collar crime, which is civil penalties are paid out by the company. Mm -hmm. And the people who propagated these crimes, and they are crimes, mm -hmm. walk free. Yeah. And it's, we see this all the time. And it's not just the pharmaceutical companies. We mm -hmm. see this with defense contractors. We see this with all sorts of large companies that commit what are crimes. What, what would lead you to be executed in China? I mean, they executed, some they executed the, the CEO of a company who, you know, put 
knew there was lead in the paint of toys that were being distributed, manufactured. Well, I remember the Chinese, yeah. Chinese lead based uh, or lead tainted toy industry right. problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the CEO of one of the companies that was, you know, particularly guilty of doing this was eventually tried and executed. Wow. Now, you know, we don't do that, unfortunately, in the United States, because I think that would get a lot better white collar behavior. <laughs> Um, well, it would also create additional problems for those who have a moral issue with the death penalty. But well, that's another yes, conversation. Yes, but I think it'd be more useful in a premeditated crime like white collar crime. Yeah. So I mean, what 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 do you what do you see happening going forward? Are we gonna are we gonna see an end to this problem at some point or no? No, I mean, I, I think well, that's that, that's really uplifting. I I think that the main issue is going to be that we need to decriminalize use because all we're doing is filling up prisons to no purpose. It's not helping people stop. Right, being uh, addicted to drugs, and we, you know, need to do, you know, try to d- do better treatment, make it safer. I mean, what do you mean it, make it safer? Well, in the Portugal, if you go to a, a concert, they will test your drugs for you on the way in <laughs> to see to make sure there's no fentanyl in them. Okay, okay. so um, they're selective, Narcan, they're yeah, selective I mean, about what drugs they let you, know, you take. You like in, in Philadelphia, there is there's a library in the middle of the park in which a huge number of these opioid deaths occur. They've got a huge stock of Narcan wow. in the in the library so that they can administer it before the ambulance gets there. I mean, hmm. this is kind of where we're at, and and you have to ask what's the societal reason that so pe- so many people feel the the, the drive yeah. to live this life. Yeah. Okay, folks, uh, this is Ed Fallon with Dr. Charles Goldman in the studio with me. We have been discussing the opioid epidemic. Uh, If we got any callers, we'll take those calls. We're going to move on at some point to the situation in Ukraine. We've got to take a short break, and then we'll be right back for more conversation on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. If you're listening to our live broadcast on Facebook, you can join us by texting your name to 515-519-6323. That's 515-519-6323. We'll call you right back and bring you into the conversation. You know, at a time when big corporations control most of the media, our niche is more important than ever. So again, please support what we do. You go to the uh, Fallon Forum website, Donate if you can. Become a monthly pledger, monthly sponsor. And uh, speaking of sponsors, uh, thanks to Westrom Optometry. That's located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures great and small for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, so um, Charles, uh, I, I wanna wrap up the opioid conversation. Uh, and I know, I know that, is, I don't know that there's a single family in, in the US who has not been touched by this epidemic. Right, maybe my family has. Yeah, and, and, and I, 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 have, I, I figure we might. a seven year old because of that reason. You what? Uh, I mean, I have a seven-year-old oh. for that reason. Do you want to say more about that? Well, you know, uh, my girlfriend and I are raising, you know, one of her family members' sons, and we've had him since he's one and a half. He's now going to be seven, um, because she can never 
the mother. The mother can never really re-enter his life. She can't take care of him because she can't take care of herself. So she had is, an opioid addiction? Does. Does. Right. Couldn't get off it. Didn't get off it. That's correct. In spite of both incarceration as well as multiple attempts at uh, you know rehab programs. So... Well, okay. Well, you know, and, and I think she's, you asked, what, why does this get perpetuated? I'll, I think she's a good example of that. The problem is, is that if you're incarcerated, you don't learn any skill to come back out mm. and be able to be successful. You're now in debt because of the fees and everything else and they go along with incarceration and mm. court costs and everything else. Um, you can't, you don't have a car, you know, right. and, you know, and all these things. And so somehow you're supposed to succeed when you're already behind yeah for uh, 10 years behind and then so what's your what happens mm-hmm. you know in some sense being incarcerated at least it's a knowable situation it, it's it's the same every day in some ways yeah. you know but you come out in life life is messy and disorderly and mm-hmm. it's very easy no matter what you try to do even with medication assisted uh, you know therapy to f- you know want to use again let's uh, go to our phone lines uh, this is uh, Frank hello Frank Hi, uh, Ed and Charles. How's it going, Frank? Oh, good. You're my fave still. <laughs> Which, me or Charles or both? <laughs> oh, Charles is my fave. Oh, okay, whatever. Here. Play favorites. Go ahead. What's on your mind, oh, Frank? Yeah. I love you too, Ed. Um, well, you know, I was I, I do some radio here over here, and I uh, was reading an article on the air the other day about Purdue Pharma, kicking in somewhere between four and $10 billion in a settlement, uh, and the Sackler family giving a half-hearted apology, a quote, regret, for their contribution to OxyContin to the opioid crisis and taking out of about 100 of our citizens a day. And I was, you know, not too many years ago, Charles, you probably remember over there in Nebraska, the Nebraska State Troopers picked up about 138 pounds of fentanyl that they reported would kill 26 million Americans. Mm-hmm. So you go to the dentist for a simple tooth extraction and you get addicted. As Charles, you said, it's, it's not just people in our inner cities, it's, it's our youth all across America innocently get addicted on opioids and we end up in a, in a pandemic and dying at the rate of somewhere over 100 to 200 a day because of this pandemic, epidemic. So... If we don't shut up the southern border where China's manufacturing this illegal fentanyl, this synthetic fentanyl, and it's coming up our southern border, if we don't close that border down, how are we going to stop this? Uh, how are we going to stop feeding the addiction that America's demanding? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a question. Um, basically, Frank's saying uh, close the southern border and somehow close off the other border that is bringing the product in from China. Uh, Charles? How do you respond to that? Well, I mean, you can close the southern border. It can still come in across the northern border, which is much harder to patrol, as well as areas on the coast. But I, I, I would say this, Frank. Uh, you know, methamphetamine is, is predominantly a homegrown industry. So uh, you, you can make fentanyl pretty easily in the United States in a lab. I, I, I would argue that, and, and I'm not disagreeing that shutting the border down, at least to drug traffickers in the south wouldn't help some but there's always going to be somebody ready to make the drug and what we've done by by this kind of interdiction is we've driven the the drug cartels to make drugs that are more compact i.e. cocaine heroin fentanyl to transport than marijuana Marijuana is bulky. It's not worth it. The, marijuana doesn't have the risk premium anymore. So instead, we've driven recreational drugs to be these drugs. The worst ones. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's only part of the picture. Part of the picture is obviously, as Ed you know, and I talked about already, physician prescribing, both well-intended and ill-intended, potentiated this problem. But no well, you're country, right. But no, there's one you're, last thing, Frank. No country has okay. this level of opioid problem that the United States does. There is something unique about what has happened in our culture. American exceptionalism. That is making this not, it's not just about access. It's yeah. also about why people use intoxicants to start with. 
And that, that's a much more fundamental question that no amount of drug policy can change. Yeah, I would I would agree. No one would no doctor, reputable doctor, would treat cancer lesion on the arm with a topical salve without addressing the root issue of the cancer. Right. Uh, but 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 clearly, um, you know, we've got a problem in the country. We've got doctors that are not making what they need to make with Medicare and Medicaid patients. Unless they go into some boutique medicine, they end up becoming part-time drug reps to supplement their income. You know, because uh, the, the, the pharmaceuticals come in, they say, hey, prescribe this instead of this. And, well, you're so good at it. Well, why don't you come to work for us? And then doctors end up supplementing their income by peddling drugs on the side. So we've got to pay our physicians what they should be paid. Everybody doesn't get blue ribbons in this country. We have to give our premium doctors like yourself. If, if you're a better doctor than the next guy, you ought to be compensated for it. And we're shoving a bunch of Medicare, Medicaid patients on people that and they're not getting paid the way they should be paid. Okay, here's Frank saying you should be paid more, Charles. <laughs> well, actually, actually, the um, the regulation of those sorts of conflicts has gotten a lot tighter um, because you're you're right, and unfortunately, a lot of the shills for the pharmaceutical companies are academic doctors at well-respected tertiary and quaternary institutions who are doing that. Now, the docs who are running mills, you know. They're running the you know oxycontin mills down in Florida, just off you know Highway 95. Those are not the kind of doctors who should be taking care of patients at all. So um, I I don't really think that that really is what drove uh, in, in physician income did not drive this activity. Um, I think that physicians started out truly believing that this was a good, and they were misled. By the, by the pharmaceutical detailing that they received. So Here, here's one thing that really interests me is the, the, the question of, as you pointed out, Charles, there are more opioid, uh, you know, more, there's a greater level of opioid addiction in the U.S. than any other country in the world, hands down. And what is, it a, what, what is wrong with America that that's a problem? And I, I think we have to dig deep on that. Well, Frank and, will tell you it's the decline of religious belief. I think... The fact that we have become so focused on consumerism in this country, so so focused on material stuff, we have abandoned a spiritual foundation, whether that's Christianity or something else. We have abandoned a commitment to a more simple lifestyle, a, style, a more community-based lifestyle. You know, rugged American individualism, where we separate ourselves from everyone else, is not uh, is not a good way to establish the kind of uh, uh, wholesome uh, perspective on life that's going to you know, keep you from falling into a trap where you want to escape through alcohol, through drugs, through opioids. And I, I just well, think and, that we have to find a way to get beyond that. And that's a much bigger conversation. And I'll stop now and move on to Frank and then Charles. Well, Ed, <laughs> we, live in, we live in a in a culture that feeds addiction. Oh, yeah, I agree. You know, we, we can't, you know, when we turn on the TV, they can't sell you a car. They can't sell you a hamburger. They can't sell you a, 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 a beer. They can't sell you nothing without it being laced with sexuality. So we're, we're in a culture that feeds our addictive personalities. Yeah, Frank. We're one of the we're one of, and Charles knows this, uh, brother. We're one of the most obese nations in the world. So we're we are living the, and we're we are surviving on nation. junk food. We're in an addiction-crazed society. Frank, so are you this, my brother from another mother? No, and, and, and Frank, I, I, I'm totally on the same page with I you. Me too. And actually, maybe, you know, next time I'm on, I'll have Ed, uh, I'll send Ed a, an article about that it's not just um, psychology, but the actual functioning in the brain, the way our brain functions, the way it drives us, that this society in particular has played upon to create this kind of dysfunction. And um, I agree with both of you that the isolation, which is championed in our, in our society, the individualism, living, you know, most people don't even know their neighbors in our society. Right. It's very common, particularly in larger cities. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever you may feel, whatever I may personally feel about religion, the, the gathering of people together 
is a bulwark to a great degree in many ways against that feeling of, of isolation. You can be gathered together for a lot of reasons. It doesn't have to just be for religious reasons. The assembly reasons. of one, uh, assembly of one to, the, uh, to the other, as the yeah. Bible talks about, uh, Charles. Yeah. I mean, I think even Richard Dawkins uh, puts forth the notion that uh, even though he hates God and hates religion, that religion <laughs> has played a positive role in society. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I look forward to you bringing that on and uh, talking about that the next time you're on. Yeah, and to me, it's it's again, I come back to this. I think I think the the religion, the, the universal religion in America is consumerism, and we have let we we basically let uh, corporations and special interests who profit from this take over the 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 the, the narrative and, and you, you can't you can't escape the barrage of advertisements telling you you've got to buy this or you're not who you really need to be okay you know? but and, it, and, and and there's this, there's this endless growth paradigm this we have to continually get bigger and bigger i heard a great example today on this nothing to do with the economy at all Berkeley University, or what's it called? University, University of California. At Berkeley, Berkeley right. right. Uh, show on public radio where they had a guy coming on saying and defending the fact that Berkeley wants to keep expanding, and the neighbors, the people living around it, are opposed to it, drastically opposed to it. And yet this guy's argument was, well, Berkeley has to grow. And that's the whole mentality. Everything has to continue to grow. Our guts have to continue to grow, right? Our incomes have to continue to grow. <laughs> Universities have to get bigger. Churches get bigger. I mean, look what's happened on the west side of Des Moines with one particular church that's taken over, what, now two or three blocks? You know, some point we've got to get beyond the notion that the only way to live is to continually get bigger. That is, that, I think that's at the heart of our problem. Well, as, as, as a, I kind of am previewing, there's, there's a biology behind that. And the biology which which we were endowed was not was not made for this society, and the algorithms and all the other things that are presented to us play on the primitive brain. You know, as Stephen Jay Gould said, we just celebrated apes, <laughs> and that the the basal part of the brain is where the pleasure centers are, and you you know the large cerebrum controls the basal part of the brain. That's what you know Homo sapiens do. That's why so much energy is spent in that part of the brain. But the point is, there is a biology that that is played upon that drives what you're saying. Right. And that is also, going, getting back to Frank, that is also what drives the prevalence of addiction in, in, you know, in our culture. Frank, thanks so much for joining us. Folks, again, this is uh, Ed Fallon, and uh, we've got to take this short break. Uh, and then we will be right back with more conversation on the Fallon Forum. Groovy Goods is your Des Moines one-stop hippie shop. Located near Drake University, we are more than just a store. Groovy Goods is about community. We're a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University in Des Moines. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Back to the Fallon Forum. If you are listening to our live broadcast on Facebook, you can join us by texting your name to 515-519-6323. That's 515-519-6323. We will then call you back on a different line and bring you into the conversation. And remember, you can support this alternative to the crazy shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. Check that out on the Fallon Forum website. Thanks to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake, one of our sponsors. If you live in Iowa, anywhere in Iowa, 
Dr. Dre can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact David Drake, FamilyPsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the program. And again, Charles Golby with me in the studio. We just go into a caller, Ron Yarnell. Welcome to the program, Ron. What's up, Ed? <laughs> Where's Ron we, from? Ron is from Urbandale, I believe. Am I right? No, Johnson. Sorry. Oh, no offense. Okay. So, um, another inner, inner suburb. We're going to be talking about Ukraine. Bill McKibben had a really good article recently um, that, uh, you know, let, let's be real about what's going on. Russia is a, they're an oil and gas empire. I mean, they've got, they've got a big military. They've got nuclear weapons that are of great concern. Um, but they, that, that's their forte, oil and gas. This is our chance to say, okay, we're going to rapidly wean ourselves off of fossil fuels, cut the weight out from, 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 from Putin, make that transition, and undermine his ability to continue this war of aggression in Ukraine, uh, or Ukraine rather, and who, who knows where this madman is going to go next. You know, that's my take on it. I, I, I like what Bill, Bill McKibben had to say on that. Um, Charles, let me punt to you and then we'll go to our phone line with Ron. Well, I mean, clearly that is not a short term solution to what's going on in Ukraine. I think and, and I hate to say this, but I remember when the um, unrest in terms of the Iranian hostage taking and ultimately the issues with Iraq came up. You know, Bernard Lewis, who was a scholar, uh, you know, in terms of. Asia and the Middle East, made that point a long time ago, which is we're only slaves to these countries because we make ourselves slaves through our, our you know, fealty to oil and gas. I mean, and remember, you know, is, is Saudi, I mean, Saudi is only by degree better in terms of their behavior than the Russians, but we do exactly the same thing. I mean, they what have, goes have... on in Yemen Right. Doesn't look a heck of a lot different than but, what's yeah, going on in the Ukraine. The starvation situation there is just appalling. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's absolutely true that we are, we make compromises, we make moral foreign policy compromises or pragmatic ones by virtue of our unwillingness to move away from oil and gas, in spite of the fact that the number two producer of oil and gas in the, in the world is now the United States. Yeah. Number one, Saudi. Number three is Russia. Right. So, so I mean, I mean, I guess I, I, if I, I again, if, if I, if I think McKibben's point is, if I understand it correctly, it's that you know you you have to move quickly <laughs> because we have no we have no choice relevant to climate change. This is the opportunity to do that. And um, yes, I think his point was to make the linkage we, so that we move for other reasons. Yeah, and we've moved quickly before. We moved quickly in World War One, World War Two rather, to respond mm -hmm. to the uh, Nazi. Takeover. So, yeah. Ron, uh, Ron, what's your what's your perspective on this, Ron? I'm trying to figure out what Putin is trying to uh, achieve by subjugating Ukraine, because so far what he's achieved is everything that uh, he supposedly was working against a, a solidified uh, NATO, uh, you know, a a, a the the uh, a sense of liberation among Ukrainians. Uh, they don't seem to be acting like they're being liberated by the Russians. Um, well, I, I, I agree with you, Ron. I think there's an element of that the troops were told the same thing the American troops were told about Iraq. They'd be throwing flowers and they'd be you know, yeah, hailing you yeah. as liberators. So that, that's a ploy that many militaries pull. Right. You know, yeah. I, I think, so I'm trying to figure out what Putin thought, uh, how he would get a win out of this, because so far he's managed to make Russia... Uh, remarkably uh, a, a pariah on the international stage. I mean, it's just a fun, uh, I, I, and I think that's because uh, the turning point was when he threatened nuclear weapons. I, I think that more than anything else has turned most of the world against him because you just don't do that. <laughs> you, know, you just don't well, threaten I mean... to use nukes if your back is against the wall. But the other thing is also uh, Putin uh, uh, follows the pattern of authoritarian dictators where he got nothing else to uh, give his people other than uh, faded glory, uh, a sense that they are strong, at least in a kind of militaristic way. Because, uh, as you say correctly, Russia Russia is basically a big gas station. I mean, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah. petrol state. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think that's accurate. 
but culturally, uh, how do they fit in the contemporary world? And I, I, I will say this. When I was in college years ago, loved reading Tolstoy, loved reading Russian literature. Tchaikovsky was my first favorite composer. But then I got to say, baby, what have you done lately? You know, it's just like uh, in the, mo- in the well, modern world, what does Russia offer the world? Other than uh, a corrupt kleptocracy. Yeah, I think I think I think Rania, Obviously, Ed and I are not Russian experts, but I've spent a lot of time listening to various people who know a lot more than I do, and I think there's a multitude of or, of motivations here. One of them, I you definitely touched on, which is he is very much of the old Soviet school, and this idea of Russia's place should be much grander in the world. So there's a nationalist element here, absolutely. But isn't there also an economic element? I mean, well, there Ukraine, is an economic Ukraine element. Ukraine is, is the breadbasket. Yeah, that's of, not the real interest, though. They don't care about that. I mean, are you sure? Well, they make pl- they have plenty of wheat without Ukraine. No, mm, and, and, and actually driving tanks across it and then blowing up a whole bunch of things doesn't help harm, you know, create a great well, harvest. Well, it just do some I'm soil compaction. the planting season. Right, on top yeah. of exactly. So, no, but no. There, there, there is an economic thing here, which is two, well, there's two economic issues. One, access to warm water ports, which is also... They've already got that. They're taking Crimea. Yeah, I understand that, yeah. but that's only the, the more the better. And that's what their involvement in Syria was a lot about, too. Also, so there are strategic things. Yes, there's a pipeline that they've been paying the Ukrainians billions of dollars for access to that they don't want to pay for. So that's part of what's going on. Part of it is all you have to do is... Well, for, the other part of this is, just bluntly, it's about the penis, you know, <laughs> And it's it's very similar to okay. That's <laughs> it's, 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 I, I'm I'm tempted not to say. Can you tell us more about that, Charles? But I will. Can you tell us more? Well, sure. What you mean? Because I mean, a lot of these male autocrats, we have our own. Are, are there any female autocrats? Well, but we have our own in particular, right? Um, it's it's about their virility. It's about their personal strength. It's also about the increasing isolation of Putin from. All of the, the governors, except the security apparatus in, in Russia, when you look at, at meetings, you know, everyone talks about the table where he sits and he sits like 50 feet away from Mussolini style. Yeah, yeah. 50 feet away from the foreign diplomats at the other side of the table. Yeah. Well, also look at his equivalent of his cabinet meetings. Nobody's within like 150 feet of him. Yeah. One reason is because it's hard to take a shot from well, yeah. from there and he, kill him. He, he just, but he doesn't yeah. trust. He he's very isolated. He's he's fearful that yeah, he someone does, he doesn't in his own say, group he, is going to kill. He doesn't want to say a two Brutus in in, uh, exactly. in 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 Russia. So he's yes. extremely isolated. Plus, he's been in that 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 huge palace for twenty two <clears throat> years. He's completely isolated in his own world at this point, and that I think is what makes him more dangerous than any no. of the rest. Of them, um, is yeah. that he he. Is it, it? It's absolutely what Ron's talking about. It, it. It. He's an autocrat, and this is what happens. They end up in their own world. Now, what's worrisome is how many of the people in the United States admired him. Now, of course, they're all backing off. <laughs> well, you mean Trump? They're all backing off. Well, Trump. Yeah, I mean Trump and his ingenious. Now, now his ingenious idea the other day was, jokingly, he said we, we should take some F thirty fives put Chinese markings on them and fly them into the Ukraine and shoot down some Russian planes. And that way we'd fool them into thinking the Chinese were trying to stop their attack. Did he really Ukraine. say that? He really said that. Yes. Wow. That's brilliant. Yeah. Anyway. This, is, this, is, this is the man who wants to be president again. But I, you know, I... I because somehow that won't start World War Three, which right. we're desperately trying right. to avoid. Now, yeah. I mean, but, you know, an important factor here is China. Yeah. Because China is not too thrilled with how this has gone. Now, and the, the common wisdom here is that, well, China's going to say, well, we should just go ahead and attack Taiwan. Actually, again, reading people who know far more than most of the people who are the talking heads on any of the lamestream media, um, point out, no, this is actually going to raise the question in China as to whether they should just do this incrementally because their army is nowhere near <clears throat> as experienced as the Russian army is. And you go, well, that's what's happening when you have domestic resistance right. that's decentralized yeah, in the Ukraine against an army somewhere, that's much more formidable. Somewhere close to 10,000 Russians have been arrested protesting uh, what, right. what Putin's doing. So, uh, you know, I, I, 
Now, one one point that's been made, and there's been some kind of backing away from this, but one point that's been made that I think does have some credibility is uh, the idea that the, the concern that NATO, that that, uh, that Ukraine's eventual enrollment in NATO is what has pushed Putin to take action. You know, and I, I even, even though there's no justifying, justifying what Putin has done for sure, um, I think if the U.S. and the EU would back away from expanding NATO, that would probably help at least take away some of the rationale that Putin wants to embrace oh, okay. to do this. Uh, can I jump in on that? Yeah. Okay, I, I, I've heard that critique, and I don't buy it. I think it's just an excuse. Here's the problem. Ukraine is a sovereign country. They can associate with who they wish. And basically, Ukraine is also has always been very historically more Western-oriented than Eastern-oriented. There, there are, for example, right. uh, there is a sizable Ukrainian Catholic minority, for example, which, which focuses them toward the West as opposed to the Orthodox East from that perspective. The, the other thing is that bottom line is the European Union, NATO, offers Ukraine a better deal. I mean, I mean, Russia no, 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 but, 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 but Ron, 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 don't conflate the EU with NATO. Yes, the European Union may well offer Ukraine a better I, deal. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think that Putin sees a difference. Well, there should, he well He's no, concerned I, about I, Ukraine, a country right next to his, developing more and more of a Western attitude, yeah. more well, and more of a democratic Well, attitude. he's also got Poland, Ethiopia, uh, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. I mean, well, I, no, right. I, think, I think Ron Ron brings up a good point, which is that, you know, Russia, although obviously it has, you know, the relationship with the, except for the Orthodox Church, is not very conducive to other religions, is nevertheless become extraordinarily conservative under Putin. You're seeing a lot of the same thing we see here in the United States with the autocratic, you know, the Christian nationalists, the same antipathy towards LGBTQ people, a lot of the same concerns. And that's one of the reasons why that you see that you do see an admiring relationship between some of the American autocrats and would be autocrats. Yeah, fortunately, um, fortunately, Putin. Right. Yeah. Because that is it's a turn backwards. It's a turn backwards. And Ukraine was looking a different way. As far as NATO is concerned, the extension of NATO to these countries right up against Russia was a stupid idea. Yeah, but that's what but, I'm saying. But it, we it, went we went with it a long time ago. And now stopped. they can't back down. <laughs> well, they can't back down. Yeah. The fact of the matter but, is, but, you know, I, I, yeah, I would say this, though. These countries, they're terrified about being reassimilated as what was called at one time captive nations, right? As they should be, the, as they should be. Right. But you know uh, something, but, but Ron, you know, it turns out, domination. it turns out that- they have a horrible history that with that. But a better idea would have been to not take the nukes away from Ukraine. Oh gosh, well. well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the time that seemed like a great idea. It seemed like the, a great the other idea. thing I want to throw in as a factor is what with Ukraine is, uh, they just have had a horrible relationship with Russia. I mean. That there are still people alive who remember the 1930s when Stalin starved the Ukraine mm -hmm. uh, in, into submission and millions died. Yeah. And Ukraine was basically the central battlefield uh, during World War II, and it was also the center of the Holocaust. So that's correct. You know, yeah. They're a traumatized people uh, to an extraordinary degree. And I think that it's fair enough to look for a way out. And they're looking at Russia and they're going, there's no way out with Russia. There's no way out with this the, a Putin, an autocratic dictator. We're just going to be drawn into the same thing yeah. over and over. That, that's correct. Ron, I really appreciate the call. Thank you. Um, we've got to run to a short break here uh, in a moment. But before we do that, I, I want to I, I wrap up, if I can, by sharing a quote from Bill McKibben's article that I think is spot on. Uh, he says, quote, this is not a war for oil and gas in the sense that too many of Americans, America's Middle East misadventures might plausibly be described, but it is a war underwritten by oil and gas, a war whose most crucial weapon may be oil and gas, and a war we can't fully engage because we remain dependent on oil and gas. If you want to stand with the brave people of Ukraine, you need to find a way to stand against oil and gas. Charles, last word? Um, stop <laughs> listening to the talking heads and, and complaining about the price of gas is going up. The price of gas is going up because... It is a world resource. Except for these talking heads.
Well, All right, listen to these ones. <laughs> it's going to go up, and and yeah, it, it, yeah. it's it is because we live in a world in which we have to share oil and gas with everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we could have so much more to say about Ukraine, and um, I hope to get some more uh, some more experts and folks with perspectives that can kind of you know enlighten us a bit further in the future. Hey, folks, this is Ed Fallon. Uh, we've got to take a short break. Uh, thanks, Charles, for joining us today. When we come back, uh, Kathy Burns will be my guest, and we'll have more conversation for you on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online, and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of architecture by synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the right-wing shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor, or if you own a small business, or if you're a nonprofit and you're doing good work, you can also become a sponsor of this program. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Owner Mark Klipsham knows we have to build better health for people and the planet and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's architecture by synthesis. Kathy Burns joins me, and it is time for our monthly garden Q&A. Drum roll. <laughs> That's right. We've got uh, two main topics that people are seemingly interested in, and that is uh, questions about soil and amendments for soil, and then questions about seeds and planting seedlings and just getting things in the ground yeah it's still i mean it's still really too early to put anything in the ground obviously but uh yeah we just got four inches of snow last night <laughs> here in iowa central yeah. iowa it's melting but yeah it's, it's gonna go fast it's gonna go fast well we've got a few very cold days coming up it's going to get down to one in a few days mm. uh, at night um hey sometimes we talk about uh the compost that's available in area um, places that give it away for free such as the city of des moines we are in des moines um, somebody on one of the social media forums wrote uh, there's been a couple questions about compost from the landfill near des moines i did a soil test the ph is at about 7.1 and the fertility is right under ideal which is to be expected for new compost two months old this person checked some of the old compost that he had used last year and got a 7.5 and the fertility was about halfway down. So this means he'll be adding amendments. So um, we, uh, we, we, are, um, we don't use uh, tests. I, we don't test the soil. No, we, we don't. Uh, and that's, that's a great idea. But again, when you have 60 garden beds, as we do, uh, and, and you can even have variations from one end of a four-foot four foot eight bed to, a, to the other end. And, you know, where, where does the testing end? I appreciate <laughs> you know? this person doing that, though, because yeah. you don't know it's what good. goes into others, other people's compost. We yeah. know what goes into ours. We, we see, we touch, we smell everything <laughs> that goes into our compost. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a huge fan of um, 
some city comp. I, again, it would vary from city to city, but uh, heck, if you can make your own, why not? Well, here's somebody else's question. Um, I'm looking for old manure and compost. Just They're located just east of Des Moines and would like to get some from a local farm. And does anyone have suggestions? Boy, do we ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, manure, uh, yeah. The uh, I mean, the stables just um, just south of uh, downtown Des Moines, south and west of downtown. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm guessing that whatever city you're in, there's got to be some place where there are horses, and they will be in stables. You know, mm-hmm. and they will they will do what they do all night long. <laughs> when and they, day. And when yeah. they come out, you know, I mean, we we try to time our visit to the stables. For the, that period between when the uh, the stable hands move the horses out and before they come back and clean them up. That way we go right into the stalls <clears throat> and we get the stuff before it's all rolled in the sawdust terribly. Um, now, one thing, that's not going to be that's not going to be old manure. Right. People we, should know that that's fresh manure. So that's why we like to get it in the fall. But if you need it in the spring, you know, just um, you know, wherever cut you it. are, <laughs> wherever you are. Ask your local stables, and they are usually happy to have less work to do themselves, less manure to haul off. So just check with your stables. You know, and there are so many creative ways to get um, manure. Uh, we have a we have a neighbor who has guinea pigs. Mm-hmm. We barter uh, heads of garlic for <laughs> buckets of guinea pig poop. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, I've also good. I've also been to the circus before. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if the circus has elephants, uh, there's going to be some some large piles of very very lucrative um, manure uh, that need disposing of. We know and our I'm stuff. there to help. <laughs> One more question about uh, manure. Somebody says they're near Burlington, wondering if there it's is Burlington, Iowa. Burlington, Iowa. Any interest in fresh chicken manure for composting? This person says they have more than enough for their garden. Um, yeah, I'm sure they're going to get people to bite on that, which. I don't mean literally. Um, they should. I bet that goes fast. Yeah. The only challenge this time of the year, like you know, that's why that person was asking for old manure. Mm-hmm. You don't want it to be too hot, too fresh. Mm-hmm. It'll 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 burn young plants. Yep. You know. Questions about planting. Uh, I saw a cute meme. I'm going to share it. Pretend you're you know a fan in a big sports stadium, and the cheerleaders are saying, "Who are we?" And you say, "Gardeners." What do we want? All the plants. Where will we put them? We don't know. And so it reminds me of a lot of people who bite off a little more than they can chew this time of year. We do a pretty good job planning for what we have, and that just comes from keeping good records year to year. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, yeah, <laughs> it's hard to know where to plant things, but you got to plan. you got to rotate. Uh, yeah. So have you had any people inquire about um, starting seeds? Yes, and somebody was saying that she followed the farmer's almanac and the packet instructions for the seeds, and she said they just came up really fast and got really leggy. Um, Mm. Was wondering uh, if she is going to have to just toss them or could still maybe save them. Some people are suggesting she could save those plants by replanting them very deeply so they're not quite so leggy. But she she had a weird light. Did she say what kind of plants they were? the only two she identified were broccoli and marigolds. The, huh. It's a good time to plant broccoli yeah, yeah. seeds right now. So what, what, no what kind of lace did she have? Um, she had some that they're popular now, I guess. If people are promoting them online. They're called blurple. It's a bluish purple. <laughs> but I did look up if that's a good light. Well, first of all, she had her light way up too high. She may have had them on while they were germinating. I just yeah. don't know all the details. According to a, a place called greenhouse.com, Quote, although blurple LED grow lights are trendy, they still are not ideal as full spectrum as full spectrum white LED lights, which are, uh, they mimic natural sunlight. It says, remember that red lights also are considered far better at pushing a plant's photosynthesis abilities for a short time, but might not be best over an extended period. And many plants start to develop elongated growth, leggy. Yeah from the use of too much red light. So don't go for trendy, go for tried and true. So besides starting seeds indoors, there are already outdoor activities that one can be doing relevant to food production. It's exciting to see. We don't do this, but we have friends who do. 
Oh, maple syrup, yeah, sure. Somebody was saying they were tapping their maple yeah. maple trees and getting some good sap. It takes and, a lot. Uh, here's a, you know, unless you're from Ames, because that Ames, the Ames market is already covered. Uh, a friend of ours there, Ben Hawksh, uh, has a, a business called Front Yard Maple Syrup, I believe, or Maple Sugar. But Front he, Yard Sugar Maple yeah, Syrup. He, um, he has an agreement with um, quite, a few, quite a few landowners that he will come and tap their trees. Ain't that and, nice. Yeah, and... Uh, and again, it's it's been very well received, and that would not be a bad project uh, in many many communities, I obviously, like especially northern communities. But um, yeah, what a great thing to do! Uh, mm-hmm. Tap maple syrup. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't hurt the tree at all. It's like when I go give blood; yeah. it doesn't hurt at all. You grow yeah. it back. Well, we have more questions. I think Kathy probably will be probably have running out of time to do that. Yeah, um, that's it. But yes, yeah, start plants, especially. Um, Again, if you're in the upper Midwest, tomato time is upon us. Hey, thanks to our callers today and to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. And thanks to our local business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Westrom Optometry, Groovy Goods, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And remember, your support for this program matters a whole lot. So go to the Fallon Forum website to learn more about how you can make a difference. Thanks again, folks. This is Ed Fallon, and we'll be back next week with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.